Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
forget you No, now we won't make it through It's so hard because it's all I knew Stay close, keep on loving you I hear the echo of your voice ringing true Choose me, cause I choose you But I made it complicated, not knowing what to do And in the end, I lost you I can't take back the words I said the things I never did and I'm sorry baby and I know we can't go back again and change the way that things might have been and I'm sorry baby I'm left alone in this empty house chasing my shadow Remind me of all our good times Oh, and I can't take back the words I said And I can't do the things I never did And I'm sorry, baby And I know we can't go back again And change the way the things ended And I'm sorry, baby Preston Gunderson from his brand new release, and we got Preston on the line. Hey, Preston, how you doing? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are. And the best way to do that is through your journey, your story up to this point. So give us the story of Preston Gunderson. Well, I grew up in northern Minnesota, a place called the Iron Range. Bob Dylan aficionados will uh, know where that location is. And I grew up to uh, my parents, um, a minor. My dad was a minor, and my mom uh, was a uh, traveling musician and touring musician back in the 70s and 80s. And they settled down up there where... Uh, I grew up. I I went to the high school there. I was in the band there, and eventually went to school in Duluth, Minnesota, and um, really started kind of pursuing music in college. Um, but it had always been a part of my life because of my mom. And so, at a very young age, uh, my first piano recital. I think I was three and a half, and I fell in love with creating songs and making music and performing. And it's always just been an integral part of my life. And so flash forward to um, college and finishing up uh, with a uh, music degree. I ended up on a show called The Voice for a little bit. And then uh, when that didn't work out a few years later on American Idol, um, singing my heart out and uh, ultimately 
creating records and making music and writing songs as a form of, uh, I guess, catharsis to life's ups and, and downs and um, just kind of uh, navigating the world through my art. Are you there? Yep. Oh, okay. I, I thought I lost you there for a second. Now, you, you say you were on uh, The Voice and American Idol. What What do you think that you got from those shows as far as, you know, moving your career forward? Yeah, I think those gave me the opportunity um, to get a peek behind the curtain, Um of the industry a little bit and that obviously that's entertainment and music is the medium. But I think the most important aspect that I really learned was, um, that there's a lot of talented people out there. There's a lot of really, um, passionate people. And that was probably the silver lining for me was making connections with other artists who loved performing just as much as I did, who loved writing, who, who, you know, dreamed big. And it was really fun to, to kind of get to know people and hear the way that they go about making music and the way that they uh, value their art. And so I think that's probably the most um, important thing uh, other than to just the general public when I'm playing. Sometimes it's a nice common ground. Um, because they know of those things and they may not know who I am, but it allows them to kind of, uh, meet me somewhere. Um, and, and then that way, sometimes it opens that door a little bit easier for them to listen to my music. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about this new release. Um, what was your goal for this particular release? I have probably a lot of goals. Um, and I, I look at this release as kind of a starting point. I've been making music for a long time, but this one feels different in a way. Um, and maybe that's a common feeling for artists as they progress. And, uh, I'm 32 and I've kind of decided to kind of push my chips in, if you will. And this record came about, ultimately um, due to a six-plus-year relationship ending and um, me just trying to kind of find meaning and purpose in it and move forward. And obviously, writing music is a great way to kind of feel your feelings and, and process things. And so I've got a lot of goals. I've, I was hoping that uh, ultimately this would change a lot of my um kind of current way of doing things, which was doing a lot of live shows that were mostly like cover songs and whatever to really kind of pushing forward and doing all original music and hopefully starting to develop that more and get people listening more and more and more to that. Um, but a couple of goals would be to, um, eventually get over a hundred thousand plays on, uh, streaming services on a song. Um, that would be such a cool honor to know that people are listening and to be able to see where they're listening and hopefully then do what I love most, which is actually perform in person and, uh, hopefully eventually then to jump on a couple major tours, whether it's as an opener, um, uh, maybe get lucky and uh, do a, a smaller tour as well with this record. Okay. Now, uh, let's talk about you as a songwriter. Every writer has their way of, of tapping into the muse, getting things rolling when they sit down to write. What is your mechanism that allows you to kind of tap into the muse and get things rolling? I think for me, anytime... Uh, obviously life is constantly teaching you lessons and I think I'm most effective as a songwriter um, when I'm being present in the moment and uh, I think oftentimes when you're present and intentional about sitting down and writing um, you kind of work at it and it becomes a muscle and 
you know, you have to look back sometimes to look forward. And honestly, for me, when I sit down and write, oftentimes it is, um, you know, looking back on something, a situation, a moment in time, and then um, trying my best to, to navigate that space and, and be honest with it. Because uh, I think ultimately, if we're not sharing our secrets and we're not telling our stories with our art, it's like, what are, you know, what are we doing? And so I love that when, when music has a specificity to it and it has a, um, a real connection to a, a story or something along those lines that people can kind of, uh, immerse themselves into and the kind of music that I love to listen to is something that is emotive and, and, and brings, uh, brings me to feel something more than just listening, but really diving in. And so I guess for me, when I'm writing, I'm hoping to emote and, and make my uh, listeners feel something, maybe grasp onto something that they hold dearly or a moment in time that they go back to. And ultimately they can connect with in one way or another. Okay. Now, you know, uh, I always look at melody and lyrics as two different processes of the brain where lyrics are very structured you're with a story, continuity, rhyme, meter, all of that. Um, it's a little different. Some songwriters like to work off of a groove and, and kind of allow the melody to freeform. Others like to have a lyric and allow those lyrics to dictate through its cadence where the melody should go. When you look for your melodic ideas, what is kind of your go-to? I generally will most, well, most often when I'm writing a song, it's either a phrase or a, a lyric or something somebody said or a moment that kind of caught me. And I'll, I'll write that one thing down. And generally I will mess around with different melodies, um, different chord progressions until I feel like it's something that, um, like my intuition kind of strikes. And when that feels natural and that feels like, Oh, that's how that's supposed to sound. I'll, I'll sit in that space. But usually I guess I start with a lyric of sorts, but, um, usually, uh, every song is kind of different because I do have songs where I've just had a melody in my brain where, you know, I'm sitting there humming it and I'm like, Oh, I better find my, my, my recorder so I can remember this idea, this thought, um, whether I'm playing it on the guitar or the piano. Um, and then usually that melody just kind of singing through something. And there's artists right now that do such an amazing job of that. Um, for example, uh, an artist named Charlie Puth, who's always a, a melody kind of guy, who's always humming something, singing something, putting it in his voice notes. In fact, I think that's like one of his album's names, voice notes. And it's interesting how everybody's brains work a little bit differently. But I would say melody generally comes um, just kind of naturally to me. I don't think too much about it. And usually it's just if it feels good, then I'm like, oh, that's that's exactly what I, what I'm supposed to be doing with this song, and so it's rare that I'll, I'll I'll monkey around too much with something once I feel like, wow, that's that's sitting nice for me, and it's I'm singing it how I would sing it, and you know I'm not trying to necessarily do too much with anything, but I'm just trying to be as genuine and authentic uh, through not only the lyrical contents but the way my voice moves. Uh, through a song as well okay now um of course every songwriter has their toolkit um and and technology today has really kind of brought some great tools to the songwriter such as the cell phone to capture ideas or even a home recording studio where you can kind of lay out a structure of a song and then write to that structure um what are some of the tools that you have found that are indispensable to you now as a writer? Honestly, my, my favorite thing is a good old pencil and a notepad. Um, obviously having my instrument in tow 
and I've learned to record myself more on on cell phone or even take videos just to remember an idea, a melody, something along those lines. But I, I guess I'm kind of a naturalist when it comes to the process. Um, I have done some like looping pedal stuff just to kind of come up with ideas or, or maybe break out of just the general normal uh, songwriting uh, workout, I guess, if you will. And it's always good to kind of do some things that are a little different. And I know many friends of mine have their, uh, recording studios in, ho- uh, in their home and they'll just kind of go through and build something up. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's an awesome way to, um, uh, kind of create demos and stuff. But one of my favorite things to do is actually kind of stay away from that because I don't want to like finalize anything before I get into the studio because I love to leave that door open for any kind of magic or ideas to kind of walk in Um, whatever serendipity happens at the studio can sometimes be that special sauce and so I guess I I generally will just sit down with my my pencil because uh, I'll generally be erasing a lot so if I have a pen that's uh that's bad news for me but I'll sit down with a pencil and I'll just jot down ideas thoughts um and sometimes I just try to piggyback as much off of that as I can um so I would say I I generally have a pretty natural way of going about it um other than uh maybe recording some videos off my phone or uh voice recording um ideas okay now, the age-old question that uh, a lot of songwriters struggle with is, when is a song finished? When do you take that, that, that writing phase and move it now to the production phase and give it to the band or the producer and allow them to kind of get their uh, fingerprints on it? Uh, what do you do to determine when a song is ready to move to its new phase? So often when I'm writing, um, I like to go in with, um, I I try to not have uh, a lot of ego when I get into the studio. And so I'm always open uh, to new ideas or maybe trying something different. Generally, when I write a song and I think it's done and I think it's good, um, that's like the first step. But ultimately, when I'm working with others, I think music is the ultimate collaborative, um, artistic kind of thing. Um, I love being in the studio and having somebody say, well, what if we try this? And I've found that having humility in that space and not necessarily white knuckling everything and trying to control everything, um, I think that often lends itself to not only helping you grow as an artist, but helping your music grow. Um, because oftentimes I think it's the collaborative ideas that make it really special. Um, and it's, you know, I think sometimes as artists, we, we hold on to our ideas as right. And I think when we do that, it's a disservice to everyone we work with. Um, and so sometimes your idea is the one that, that pulls through and that's all great. But I think sometimes you, you almost don't want all your ideas to go through. I think you want something else to be added, that element of, um, maybe an idea somebody else had, or, um, maybe just something as simple as, you know, like, what if we take this song a little bit quicker? What if we, what if we, um, you know, change this line and put it in the bridge instead, because it's such an impactful line. How do we make the song the best? And I think when you're working with the right people, it becomes about the song. It becomes about what are you trying to say? What are you trying to get, uh, um, across to your listeners? And ultimately when people are on the same page that way, and it's less about, ego or me i think that's when music is at its most beautiful i definitely agree now uh tell me about the lineup on this who's playing yeah um well i worked in three different studios on this record and um the first record i'll i'll 
the first recording studio I'll talk about is Boom Island here in Minneapolis, and that's run by Greg Schutte, who uh, played drums on all the tracks, uh, minus a few. Uh, we did have a couple tracks that were programmed, which is something new for me. I had never done that before, but uh, Greg Schutte played drums on the tracks. We also had... Um, Ian Allison playing bass on some of the tracks. We also had Isaac Levy play bass on some of the tracks. Um, we had uh, Luke Enyart playing guitar on some of the tracks, as well as Isaac Levy. Both are incredible musicians, and um, Isaac actually produced some of the record as well. Uh, he did three of the songs at his studio called Chubby Mammal in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, he's a savant. He's really a gifted player, engineer, all the above, and he's just 19 years old, which is, is kind of mind-numbing. Um, but he's fantastic. Uh, had Kevin Gastonaway on keys on, on a few of the songs, and he's uh, played with likes of Corey Wong and so many other incredible artists out there. Just fabulous. Um, I'm also obviously playing uh, guitar and singing. Uh, we had Elise Jones come in and sing a little bit as well. We even have some cello on the record, which is uh, really fun. It wasn't something um, initially I had set out to do, but when you're in the studio and a song calls to you in a certain way, um, and that was Greg Byers who came in and uh, lent his abilities. He's such a talented uh, cellist. And um, Chris First is another uh, guy who played on the record, and he also engineered four of the songs at his studio, formerly uh, Studio 65. And so for the most part, um, that that was the crew um, making most of the uh, making most of the songs and I'm trying to see if I'm leaving anybody out I don't think I am but um, uh, we also had uh, Genevieve Callen a friend of mine come in and and sing a little bit too but for the most part those were the those were the folks involved uh, on the day-to-day -day. okay now uh, you're working with Krista Valenkis from uh, elephants and flowers PR um, tell me how that relationship began well it's uh interesting i um this is my first time kind of venturing into that realm of pr and uh krista came very highly recommended by multiple sources and oddly enough uh she helped uh start a company called tinderbox music that i worked with way 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 back when i first moved to minneapolis and I was just a young guy trying to figure out what the heck I was doing with my music. And um, so I had a relationship with Tinderbox Music. And um, essentially, she started her own company. And uh, I decided to roll with her. And so far, it's been really amazing to know that you have somebody on your side who's looking out for you and um, trying their best to help you um, get your your art out into the world and so i owe a lot to her and um, i'm always really grateful when she's um helping me with new opportunities and and uh, and new ways to kind of share my art with the world okay now um let's talk a little bit about the industry um we all know that the consumers out there right now have really uh, embraced streaming as a way to listen to music or consume music and which is all great i mean for the consumer it's it's a great deal i mean they pay less they they get more and the convenience is they don't have to store anything it's right there at their fingertips right on their phone but the problem is is that now they no longer look at recorded music as a product it's not something to go out and buy anymore which i think really hurts uh the the independent artists i think more than any other faction of the industry uh and they kind of got you by the short here is because 
if someone hears about an artist, the first thing they do is they go up on Spotify, they look for that artist to listen to their music, and if they don't find them, they consider that artist irrelevant, and they move on to something else. You know, the short attention span thing. How has this shift in the perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? I think it's made uh, being a musician really challenging in a couple of ways. Um, first way is it's in, in many regards, it's such a saturated market. Um, there's so much to listen to. And, you know, I always say in a world so loud, it's, it's always an honor when people take the time to listen uh, to some of the art that I've created. But I think, um, for example, a uh, band Wolfpack, they, they, used the analogy of, uh, imagine grocery stores, uh, you paid 10 bucks a month and you could walk in and take whatever you want as much as you want. You know, everyone would love that, but it would essentially put, (laughs) it would put artists out of, out of work. It would put the people, you know, or at least in that analogy, the people, the farmers would be out of work. Um, the distributors would be out of work because, you know, there's just no way that you can make money off of that. And so I always love that analogy that they used, um, because it is, it's, it's really challenging. Um, especially when you're kind of depending on algorithms and, and curators to place your songs. And, um, so that's one element of it. And then obviously the other element in terms of just the money that is brought in, unless you're a major label artist, which they make more per stream, which is interesting due to their deals or whatever. Um, they make more than an independent artist. And so as an independent artist, when you get point zero zero three eight cent per play, um, you know, that's, that's, it's almost, you know, infuriating and it, it's just kind of, a slap in the face, especially when, you know, ultimately those streaming services have CEOs that are worth billions of dollars. Um, so, I mean, it's made it really challenging and in some ways, um, it's a double edged sword because to your point earlier, it is accessible and people can listen to you. And I guess in some ways, some would argue maybe the cream of the crop will kind of flow to the top or whatever, but I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think there's so much incredible music that gets lost in the jumble. And so I think it's just a matter of, um, trying to be persistent in, and do what you do well, which if I guess if I was giving advice to myself, it's like, keep focusing on what you love to do, which is performing live, which is writing, which is creating art and, and, um, you know, doing the things that you do well And that whole aspect of Spotify, Apple music, all the streaming services. It's, that's just another layer to it that I think can be, um, you know, something that we're trying to learn and adapt to, but in many ways could become obsolete in the next five years as the industry is kind of always evolving, I guess. And I, and I think you're right. I think, you know, we are evolving. I think the, the, uh, the one constant throughout the digital revolution uh, of the music industry is that it constantly changed. You know, we started with Napster, went to iTunes, then to Spotify, and now, you know, we're, we're looking at a potential future going forward. The, the problem, and like you had illustrated, is that the thing with, with the way streaming services are put together now, this is not a sustainable business model. Um, you, you're absolutely right. The, you know, the record companies, they made their deals with these streaming services, got a larger piece of the pie. But if you really look at it, the bulk of their content really comes from the independent music community. That's where their, their, right. their content comes from. And if you can't fairly compensate artists to the point that they could at least have the opportunity to break even on their projects 
you can't continue to expect them to create this content at the flow that we've been doing it at, you know, uh, up to this point. We have to, mm-hmm. you know, do something better to uh, help artists maintain a revenue stream that's um, that's livable. Uh, what do right. you think needs to happen to kind of get to that point? I think... Um I mean, ultimately, you know, <laughs> a penny a play even would be would be better. Um, you know, uh, finding some ways to make sure that that per stream uh, amount is increased, or you know, they do offer cool things uh, in terms of like where people are listening, so you can see. Oh, well, I've got like thousands of streams coming from Kansas city. Well, maybe it's time I go play there, but you're absolutely right. When you're creating the art, it almost feels like in some ways, that's just like a really, really expensive business card nowadays. And you have to have it and it has to be accessible, but you know that you're going to get very little return. Even if you have, you know, thousands and thousands of streams. Um, and I, I just look at my own, and I can use my, my record that just came out. We're, we're almost to 25,000 streams in less than a week. And, you know, that's not going to be, you know, compared to how much, not just, you know, financial, um, like the money and stuff that went into it, all those resources, but the emotional output and everything that goes into a record, it's kind of, like I said earlier, a slap in the face. Um, but I also look at it as like a necessary thing in today's, in today's musical world, because to your point, you know, people, uh, if you're not on these streaming sites, they're going to kind of not consider you probably professional or not a real artist or whatever they decide to say. But I think for me, a, a great way that, um, you know, they could help the artist. Like I know Spotify offered like, Hey, you can tip the artist like on their page. Like you can send them a, uh, a tip or money or whatever, but I don't think it should all fall on, on, um, our listeners and our support system. I think that ultimately if these mega companies that are making all this money are doing well, I think they should be giving back, portions of that profit share to the artists in some sort of reparation of choice, you know, uh, of, uh, like an idea like that, like giving back to the independent artists as well, not just the big ones. Oh yeah. And I definitely agree. Now there is some technology coming down the pike that I've been keeping a really close eye on. One of them is this whole streaming on the blockchain with sites like audius.co uh, emanate um, these new streaming sites they have a different approach to things number one they're decentralized because they're based on this blockchain or the technology that secures cryptocurrency and that means that no one company can control the blockchain it's really a a um, relationship between the fan and the artist they're in control of this streaming service. So no big label can come in and negotiate a better deal. It's all done on a a very fair algorithm uh, or what they call smart contracts. The other thing is, is that they claim that they're going to pay artists up to 80% of the incoming revenue, which will be put into a pool that is distributed to the artist as per streams. And, um, these streams, you get paid immediately upon the stream, and it's real-time information that you get. You know, you this data is not something that accumulates over a small portion, you know, a, a certain amount of time. Then you got to wait for, you know, for that to get compiled, and then you go look at it. You know, by the time it gets from Spotify to your aggregator and you actually get to look at it or Spotify for Artists... You know, it, there is a, there is a time lag. This is this will be more of a real time um, data um, exchange between the artist and the fans. 
Uh, what do you think of that as being a potential for the future of the industry? As an artist, I think that sounds amazing. Um, I think ultimately when you're giving power to the people uh, who are listening to this music, um, that's, that's, that's huge. That way, you know, in terms of biases and stuff, like you said, a major label can't come in and kind of dictate what's on a playlist, what's not. People can say, hey, you know what, I heard this great songwriter the other day, and you know what, I think that they're amazing and they can listen to it and maybe share it with their friends. And um, I'm positive that that songwriter is going to be really appreciative on a platform like that um, to be heard and then also to feel um, valued, to be seen and to be heard in a way where you're actually maybe um, getting a return. And to your point, that information, that data, if it's being live versus having to wait for like a weekly report or whatever, that's that's also such a useful tool because as an artist, then you can look at, you know, for example, I have a new record out. You can look at it and see which song is maybe doing the best. And then maybe you can be like, well, maybe it's time to do a music video for that. Or maybe it's time to push that song in other ways. And so it sounds like a really, um, awesome adaptation and improvement to kind of where we're currently sitting, which like we've talked about, doesn't seem feasible, uh, to, to make a career, especially if you want to be, um, you know, in the studio creating stuff and, and, you know, it's made songwriters and, uh, recording artists have to kind of figure out to record themselves. And so that also hurts studios and hurts, um, you know, producers that way too. So I think this could be a really awesome way to help generate more money and, um, and mostly just help artists feel appreciated because I think right now so many musicians <laughs> don't. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And uh, oh. we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. Screw those neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight. <laughs> Thank you so much. When the cold comes over And I'm too numb to feel Just pull me closer Let me know that it's real Lead me You know that I need you Even bridges bend The tallest buildings sway Is it strength or weakness? And as you hold the world up, let me lay with you Cause there's nothing that I'd rather do Than to lay here and be fragile with you Yeah.
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you. 